We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 2. Warren Wiersbe, he's a Bible teacher and commentator. He's a pastor. Uh, he's been around uh, a long time. He said that building projects are not easy, and they have the capacity to bring out the best or the worst in people. Have you guys ever been involved in a building project? Uh, maybe even a remodel at your house? It can get crazy, huh? Uh, I remember back when I used to serve as, a, as an assistant pastor in West Covina, when I was uh, there, we had a building project and it was a lot of work. Uh, no days off, uh, six or 7 a.m. we would arrive, uh, we leave by 10 or 11 at night. And of course, uh, you know, looking at those building projects, we know that there are those special seasons where things like that will happen, but it's for special reasons, if I could just say that. And who knows, man, maybe one day the Lord will allow us to have a building project. Wouldn't that be cool, you guys? You know, let's just say we got this uh, big old building, empty building, and we have to go in there and, you know, frame it up and do electrical and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. That would be cool, huh? You guys ever pray? that prayer that would be really cool um, but that will have its challenges and so uh, this is what we find in in second chronicles as they're about to build the temple and uh, we're going to learn a lot of lessons from this but here's the thing um, what's happening right now although we might not be involved in a, in a literal building project today you guys know we are building right and we are building ourselves up the bible says in the book of jude uh, we're building up this congregation right here we're all supposed to be working and building uh, the congregation locally but we're also part of building the church universally and so uh, i want to encourage you guys to know that that you're part of this that this is going to be a team effort and as we see solomon is so cool the lord using him to lead the work to lead the building program so to speak as he leads the way, we're going to see some principles, I think, that we can come away with so that uh, we can be strong and built up personally, so that we can be strong and built up congregationally, and so that we can even be strong and, and built up a church universally. And so we see Solomon now. Um, he's, uh, if you guys, uh, it's a cool thing about Solomon is you can actually date exactly when he reigned. He reigned from 970 to 930 B.C., and four years into his reign, which is 966 B.C., that's when the construction began for the temple, and it took them seven years to build it. You guys get excited about building projects? I know some of you do. Some of you maybe you don't. I trip out right there. Do you guys ever drive the 10 freeway, and they're, and they're doing that whole big old project right there from the 605 to the 10? And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a massive work, huh? Hopefully it helps us with the traffic. I have a feeling it won't. <laughs> but uh, they say the 405, after they spent $1.1 billion adding another lane, it said, they said it didn't help, you know. So I, I don't know if just because more people are driving now. But, you know, you see those massive projects, and, and part of you is thinking, man, how do they do that? And you might even look at your own life, and you're like, well, how can I ever change? How can I ever be different? Or you might look at your husband or your wife, and you're like, how can they ever be different? 
or even the church here. And, you know, what God can do in Calvary Chapel Almani or even in the church universally. And so it's kind of cool. We need to do things God's way. We need to be led by the Lord. And here, when Solomon starts this whole temple thing, we learn some beautiful principles from it. Look how it starts in verse 1. It says, And then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. And so Solomon selected 20,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. And so we kind of talked about the fact that we want to build this for the name of the Lord. It's not for David. It's not for Solomon. This is for the Lord, right? And we see two key ingredients here. One is determination, and the other is organization. Now, here's the important thing. Remember, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Old Testament was written in what language? Hebrew, right? A couple of spots where there's Aramaic in the book of Daniel, but primarily it was written in Hebrew. Now, here's the thing. The word determined right here, it actually means uh, to command, to promise, to say, to think, to intend. Other translations, they translate this word that Solomon gave orders. That basically now Solomon says, go for it. That, that's basically what he's saying. If you read the different translations, it's like, okay, you know, um, it's kind of like, I don't know if any of you guys ever worked in the movies. I think that would be kind of an exciting industry to work in if you were a part of a, a play or some type of movie. And they would say, ready, set, action. Kind of like that, right? Okay, now it's time. We've done the preparation. David got all the materials, the gold, the silver, the bronze. I mean, you name it, the money. And we, Solomon, you've been king now for four years, man. So now it's time for action. That's what this word determination really means in the Hebrew language. And, you know, that God-given determination, that God-given action, it takes us places where a lot of people never go. It takes us beyond wishful thinking. Uh, it brings us even beyond determination to where we come to what's called implementation. Uh, we need to have this in our heart. You know, God help us to move beyond intentions. Oh, one day I'm going to be a good husband. One day I'm going to be a good dad. One day I'm going to be a good son. One day I'm going to be a good minister. Whatever it might be. One day I'm going to start praying. One day I'm going to start reading my Bible the way that I should. One day I'll start serving with a humble attitude. Whatever the, you know, intention might be. God help us because we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us to move beyond the good intentions and to, to move into the implementations, to move into that place of action. And that's where Solomon finally now, he comes to. He just says, okay, guys, it's time to begin, you know. And, and to build God's temple. And, of course, it would also be his own palace. You know, and then when you look at Solomon, he built a whole bunch of structures. This would require a lot of organization, a massive amount of workers and, you know, for us uh, in life, I pray you guys always know that where God guides, God provides. And if he wants a work done, he's going to provide the workers. If he wants something going on, he's going to provide the money. So the Lord here provides everything they need. It's kind of interesting. Look again in verse 2. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to 
quarry stones in the mountains and then 3,600 to oversee them. And so, you know, man, all these guys, we'll talk a little bit about them later. We see Solomon's now rolling, man. Determination equals action, implementation, selection, organization. I want to build a temple for the Lord. I wanted to bring him glory and honor. I want to see all the nations of the world worship God. And so things begin to happen. And that, that implementation, that action, then moves into something that's real important, and that is communication. Look at verse 3. And then Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings, morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And, and the temple which I, I build will be great, for our God is greater than all God's. But who is he who is able to build him a temple? Since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? And so what we find is Solomon writes a letter to the king of Tyre. And uh, he, he had a good relationship with him because David, his father, had a good relationship with him. As a matter of fact, right when Solomon became king, right when he became king, uh, the, the king of Tyre sent him a letter, congratulations. And so uh, David uh, had that relationship. Solomon now writes him back, and uh, he asks them to do the same thing for him that he had done for his father. Uh, we know in 2 Samuel 5.11, the Bible says that Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And so Solomon says, what you did for David, I'm asking you now, will you, will you help us out too? They're apparently good wood and, and good workers. And, 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 and in writing the letter, though, it's kind of cool the way that Solomon crowns this letter, this, this construction with majesty. You know, I got to tell you a little bit about this temple. It's not just any building. Uh, it's an awesome project for the Lord. It's not for me. It's not for my dad. It's for the Lord, and we want to dedicate it to him. We want, you know, to burn. Notice what he says right there in verse 4, to burn before him sweet incense because we want it to smell good, right? No, that's not what. You guys know what the sweet incense is symbolic of, right? It's, in, it's symbolic of the prayers of the people, right? Uh, if you read Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 8, verse 4, it talks about the incense rising before the Lord, the prayers of the saints. He says, we want to build a house, we want to build a healthy temple, uh, personally, congregationally, universally, so that we can pray. We can pray to the Lord, man, because I tell you what, the Bible says that if I cry out to God, if I pray, He'll answer and that's how we talk to God. That's how we worship God. That's part of our, our relation with God, is communication with God. And he says, I want to build this temple because, man, 
We want to be a people who pray. And I want to encourage you guys in your prayer life. I want to encourage you to get on your knees. Have you ever done that? I want to encourage you to fast. I want to encourage you to get on your face. I want to encourage you to pick up the phone after you've done that, and then you'd pray with someone, not in any gossip type of thing, but just let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord together. I want to encourage you to attend prayer meetings, to maybe even start prayer meetings. Because the temple is supposed to be where we burn incense. The temple is supposed to be where we pray. And if we're not praying personally, congregationally, universally, then things aren't going to happen the way God wants. You know, we read that distinctive in Isaiah 56, 7. Uh, it says in the latter portion of that passage, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, it was kind of like that was like the overriding thing. Like, what are you guys to do there? And then so much of it is we pray. That's what we do as Christians. We, we pray as, uh, you know, shoe guys, you know, fix shoes and as, you know, you know whatever. Cooks cook. Christians pray. That's what Martin Luther said. So important. Jesus quoted Isaiah in Mark 11 and Matthew 21. And you guys remember the story of Jesus in the beginning of his ministry? He went into the temple. He got a whip of cords and he was, he was driving people out. You guys remember that? He's overthrowing the money changers' tables and he says, Get out of here. You guys have made my father's house a house of merchandise, and yet it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. What they had done is they had taken that place, the court of the Gentiles, and they made it uh, a place where they were just making buku money. And God said, no, that's not what this is about. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, a house where we burn incense, right? I mean, that's the title, you know. I mean, we guys know, uh, if you go to the House of Blues, have you guys ever been there? The House of Blues? Uh, from what I understand, they play the blues. And so, because it's called the House of Blues. And I'll, I'll tell you this, tomorrow we're going to the House of Pancakes. We are going there because my son's birthday was March 5th and he has a whole week to redeem his free breakfast. And so I'm like, okay, we'll go if you get a free breakfast. Then we're going to get pancakes. Why? Because it's the house of pancakes. And this is the house of prayer. And I want to encourage you guys, your house, your own house is a house of prayer. And I want to encourage you to spend your time in prayer. Don't see it as a burden. See it as a blessing. Don't see it as some type of legalistic relationship. No, it's a loving relationship. You don't got to pray. You get to pray. It's so important that we have this in our hearts. You know, Solomon says this is why we're building the temple, to offer incense, to pray. And then he says right here in, in verse 4, for the continual showbread. I mean, and he starts, you know, sharing with King Hiram some of the different things they're going to do with the temple. That showbread was symbolic of the 12 tribes, which were symbolic of all of God's people. And it says right here that this showbread would be continually there. Now, it's interesting when you read Exodus 25, 30, the Lord said, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. You know what that means, you guys? That means that God's people are always in God's presence. 
that God is watching over us. I love that Psalm, Psalm 139. It talks about the, the presence of the Lord, man. And it says, you know, go to heaven. Of course, God's going to be there. You go down to hell. Guess what? God's going to be there. You take the wings of the morning, which is 186,000 miles per second. That's fast. And you think you can shoot away from God and, and you know, somehow escape his presence? You can't. You can't. You can't run away from God because he loves you so much. The presence of God is this is what we learn in the temple. These are the things that we contemplate, we meditate upon in the temple. These are the things that we ingrain in the hearts of the people in the temple so they would know it's not just the temple, man. They get there and then they go out and they can never escape God's loving presence. He says, and this is what we want to do. You know, I want to build a building, and we're going to set up columns and pillars and maybe a platform, and who knows, we might set up a PA system. I don't know if they had it back then, but you know what I'm talking about? And because it's we, we want to do this for the glory of God. That's what he says. You know, Psalm 139 is a cool psalm about God's omnipresence, but don't let it just be some doctrinal, theological truth. What David says is that I got to take this to heart. I pray it would encourage you. When you look at the, the showbread here, uh, Solomon also mentions the burnt offerings, the various holy days, the perpetual feast days, and all those things that they were supposed to remember. Because a lot of times we get in trouble as Christians because we forget the beautiful things that God has taught us over the years. And that's why some of these sacred days and feast days and whatever, new moons, they're there to, you know, just always remind us of the things that we should never forget. And he says, that's what we want to do in this temple. He's letting the king of Tyre know how, how awesome the Lord is. Uh, look what we read again in verse 5. And the temple which I build will be great, for our God is greater than our, all God's. I was, I was mentioning to Angel, I said, Angel, man, this is the only place in the Bible where this phrase is found. Our God is greater. You would think it'd be everywhere. In one sense it is, but here is the only time where you find these words in succession. Our God is greater. And so he was kind enough to say, okay, we'll sing that song, Our God. Our God is greater. <laughs> it goes with the study. That's awesome, you know? But that's what he's, he's trying to tell the king. He's trying to tell him, man, our, our God is so awesome. You know, we sing that song, Our God is Greater. Uh, beautiful song released by Chris Tomlin in the year 2010. And it's interesting, on paper, the credit goes to, uh, I guess, a guy named Jonas Myron and Matt Redlin, Redman and Jesse Reeves and Chris Tomlin. They're supposedly the writers, but uh, they should probably have given a little bit of credit to Solomon, right? who originally wrote these words about 3,000 years ago, and it's a beautiful truth. Our God, our God is greater than all gods, than all other gods. You know, we have something similar. In Psalm 135, verse 5, it says, For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. And of course, you know, the main reason for that is because there is no other God. You guys know that, right? Isaiah 43, verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that 
You may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. And just in case, you ever run across a Mormon? Okay, just in case. You can tell them, no, there's only one God, and you ain't him, and you never will be him, okay? <laughs> or you go, and sometimes you go to nations, and it could be Cambodia, it could be uh, India, uh, uh, and they think of, uh, they have what's called polytheism, where they believe in multiple gods. No, it's monotheism. There's only one God, right? We read the same thing in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. And so that's what he's, this, is a, this was actually pretty radical thinking in those days. I mean, in those days, everybody thought, man, there's, there's a gazillion gods, and you can make up a god in the, in the Roman Empire. They eventually came to the place where they believed in a different god for every single day. That's how crazy it was. But the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the true God that would eventually be manifested ultimately in Jesus Christ, we learn through, through, through this truth that, that there's only one God. And it was a radical concept back then. And so Solomon is sharing these things as he's writing to the king. And uh, I think it's kind of cool because it's like as he's writing, it's not just like a business transaction, you know. It's like, hey, you're going to come in and put carpet here? Oh, cool, yeah. And, 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 and you know, you're, you're talking to the guys who are going to provide the carpet or whatever, install the carpet, and you're telling them that this is for the house of the Lord. And whatever it might be, you might tell them that people are going to come forward and receive Christ on this carpet. Or you might tell them that people are going to get down on their knees and they're going to shed tears on this carpet. I mean, it's just like, it's not just a construction thing. It's so cool how Solomon, he started off so well. And he had this in his heart. He was super excited about this thing, right? And, 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 and then he kind of says in verse 6, but who is able? <laughs> to build them a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He says, number one, who is able to do this? And then number two, who am I? Verse six, that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him. You know, at the same time, I know before when I used to be Catholic, I used to go into the building and just think, okay, now I'm in God's presence, you know. And then you guys remember, you get the holy water, right? You go in and then you go forward and then you're going to genuflect before, you know, that uh, what you think, well, there's a special presence of God. Um, and, and, and Solomon is sharing something that's important for us to know, that there's no building that's sacred. When pe God's people gathered together were sacred, but not the building. Now, if you go to some of the nicer buildings, you might be a little bit more tempted to think that. Not in this building. <laughs> and, uh, but if you go to some of those nice buildings with those huge ceilings and you go to Rome and see some of those churches, you might, you might get like an overwhelming sense of awe and you see the stained glass windows, but don't let it fool you. Solomon is saying, and, and it's something that some people even, you know, are, are they misunderstand, God's not you know, bound to that building. He's not constricted to some, you know, human construction. You know, God, it says the heavens and the heaven of heavens, they cannot contain him. 
God is everywhere present in his fullness. You know, uh, earth and heaven and the, the universe can't contain him. That's the truth. And that is, I don't know if that ever blows any circuits in your mind, but to me, that's just absolutely awesome. Later, when the temple is actually built, uh, Solomon touches on this. If you go over to chapter 6, look at verse 18. He says, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. And I love Isaiah 66 and verse 1. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? You see, God is not able to be localized. And so when you go after church today to in and out God is there in his fullness, you know? And you go home and you plop yourself on the couch and you turn on the TV and you're thinking, I can watch, you know, whatever. God is there in his fullness. And you get in your car and you, whatever, take a shower. You can't escape the fullness of the presence of God. And it's just such an awesome truth. I pray it would be a comforting truth to you. I, I pray that. You know, God is not able to be localized. He's omnipresent. This was something that Judaism offered to the world when they brought the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, uh, and you know, even though you couldn't see him, because they would always look at their icons and their idols, he's invisible, but he's there, ever-present, all the time. And, and by the way, it's not just any God. He's not a generic God with different names and natures to different nations. No, he's the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's a tetragrammatron. That means it's the covenant name of God. We don't know for sure if it's, you know, Yahweh or Yahweh or Yehovah. Um, It's not J that we know for sure. But um, this is a personal God. Because sometimes, and I was listening to a song the other day, it's not a Christian song, and I was talking about how you know, it's the same God, just different names. No, it's not. I mean, this is the, you know, Muslims, Allah is not, is not the God of the Bible, you know, or the God of Mormonism. Even the Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that's why Paul said, be careful, I'm afraid that someone's going to come to you, Second Corinthians chapter 11, and they preach another Jesus, and you guys are going to be cool with it. He says, no. See, it's, it's the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And, Paul, and, 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 and Solomon says this is for him. He's not a generic God with different names. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, who revealed himself even more so in the New Testament as the Trinity taught clearly. And Jesus is the ultimate expression, representation, and manifestation of God to man. And so here Solomon says when it comes to building this temple, he says who is able to contain God? And then he says there, look again in verse 6, and who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? 
He says, really, the only thing that I can think of that I'm worthy to do in the temple is to ask him for forgiveness, <laughs> man. I could burn some sacrifices and, you know, ask him for forgiveness. I feel like that's all I can do, right? And, and I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. Um, we should. Who am I? Who am I, Lord, that you would allow me to serve you in this capacity? Who am I, Lord, that you would even love me or, you know, want to have a relationship with me? Who am I, Lord, that you would be willing to use my life, to, you know, to build you a temple or to do any of these things? We're going to come back to this later because I think this is such an important point. Now, when you study the Bible, you'll find that God lives in a different type of temple nowadays. But the building continues. Um, and there are a lot of passages we could look at. But a couple of passages that stand out to me, just to let you know that God is still building. Number one, Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is building his church. Okay, just you can't see it. If you go over to Jerusalem today, you would see the Dome of the Rock. You can't see it. And they say that, you know, they want to rebuild the temple. I don't know when that's going to happen. We're probably going to get raptured first. But there is a building, there is a construction that's taking place. Jesus is leading it. Jesus is building it. And so are we if we're serving the Lord. If we're in right relationship with him and if we've taken our place in the body of Christ. No offense, but it's more than being a pew potato. Now some people, they come into church and they go out there and they're ministering to their family and they're ministering in what we would call parachurch ministries. And I praise God for that because sometimes that's all God wants you to do. And don't think that that's a small or insignificant place. And sometimes people come to the church and they're serving in here and they're ministering here. And I praise God for that. It's really apparent. But sometimes there are some people who are Christians and they're not really serving the Lord anywhere. Nowhere. You're not building you're not part of that building of you're supposed to be. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, however, you just have to do it in a wise way. According to the grace of God, which is given to me, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So Paul said, you know, Jesus said, I'm building the church. Paul said, I'm part of that. I'm building, I laid down the foundation, now you other guys are following up after me, well, they're building as well. And when we speak words of edification, we're building people up. And when we do ministry, we're building people up. And we have to find our place in the body of Christ. And we've got to start serving before it's too late, before one day, and I, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but you might stand before Jesus Christ and be embarrassed. Embarrassed. 1 John 2.28, it says, now abide in him, little children, that when he appears before us, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. So find out what you're supposed to be doing and then, and then start doing it. Because we're building. We're building a personal temple. Watch. If you want, put your marker here. 
and go over to 1 Corinthians 6. Did you guys know that you're the temple of God? You are individually, if you're a Christian, that God lives in you. It's crazy, huh? 1 Corinthians 6, it says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? There's a temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. And so build up this temple. You know, build up your temple, man. Get in the word and let the word get into you and be serious about your relationship with the Lord. And don't doubt. Don't think, well, I can't be a strong woman of God or I can't be a strong man of God. Oh, yes, you can. This temple right here needs to be built up. You're the temple of God personally. But also, we're the temple of God congregationally. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 3, and look at verse 5. It says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Okay, now we're getting closer now. Now this right here, he's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says to the Corinthian church, I planted it. And then one day Apollos came and then he started watering it. He's talking to the congregation now, right? He's talking to them about the work that God had done in Corinth. And then he goes down, and you can read about the whole Bema seat. But he says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so it's important, I think, for us to know what we're building. Number one, we're building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Number two, we're building this church congregationally, this church locally. And then number three, if you go over to Ephesians 2, we build, we're building the church uh, universally. In Ephesians 2, verse 19, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, and what he's talking about is how the Jews, the wall of separation was broken down between them and the Gentiles. Now you got this huge church, this massive church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so, you know, guys, in one sense, like, like I'm thinking about revival, and I know a lot of you here, you, you're thinking about revival. 
hopefully you're not thinking about revival like this. Get revived. <laughs> you know, hopefully you're thinking about revival like this. Revive me, Lord. I tell you what, and if you get on fire, I've seen it happen where your fire is contagious. Next thing you know, it starts spreading through the congregation. And when congregations begin to get on fire, it can spread through the whole wide world. You see, that's what we're building right now. I pray we would know how glorious it is. We've got to know the temple of God is, is me personally. It's us congregationally. It's this church universally. And going back to Solomon, if you would, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 2, we begin to learn some principles on exactly how this takes place. You know, we have to build this temple with excellence and I think with urgency. We'll look at, at again at Second at, at Chronicles in chapter 2, verse 6. Actually, verse 7, he says, Therefore send me at once. Okay, there's the urgency. Just in case there's someone here who's saying, I'll do this tomorrow, Manny. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we want it now, right? At once. Okay, let's get this thing rolling. A man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue who has a skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem whom David my father provided. Also send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon and indeed my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance. For the temple which I'm about to build shall be great and wonderful. And indeed, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 bays of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. And, and in looking at this, you guys... There's some key concepts, I think, that can help us. How, we, how do we build? And I know there's a lot more than this, um, but I will use the word, um, as we already saw in looking at this, that we need to be actively, working actively. A second word I'll give to you is we need to be working skillfully. Skillfully. Notice the word skillful is, is found two times in verse 7. And the word skill is found again in verse 7 and then again in verse 8. And we're going to see later in this chapter. As they're building the temple, you got to do it skillfully, right? You have to do it, you know, skillfully. And, and, and what we find, these guys were good at it. Apparently, they were good with wood and maybe they had all the right tools and they had the, all the right experience. And it was one of those things that was just passing on from generation to generation. They were real good at this, right? And, and here's the thing, you guys so are you. There's something you're good at. There's something that you're, you're so skilled in that others aren't as skilled in. There's gifts that you have that we need, the church needs. And that's how the temple is built. It really is built that way. God has given to each person gifts that they're born with, I believe, and gifts that they're born again with when you get saved. As life goes on, we cultivate different skills. I think how you guys learn how to do different things. Some of you guys even know how to sew or you know how to cook. I, I love going to the potlucks with all the ladies who know how to cook, man. You know what I'm saying? God uses all that, right? Skills and talents in any way 
so we can build God's church. And, and so let me ask you a question. Just I don't know if you've thought about this lately. What are you good at? What are you good at? And it might even just be something like I'm good at, I don't know, uh, playing the ukulele. You're like, I, I'm an expert in playing the ukulele. And, and you never know. Man, God might open doors one day for you to teach kids how to play the ukulele. I, I don't know. But what, what are you good at? I think that we should think along these lines. What special skill or skills do you have? Um, what gifts of the Spirit do you possess? Uh, are you, you know, exercising them? If you don't know what gifts of the Spirit you have and you're interested, we actually have a questionnaire. It's a little test that you take. It's about 12 pages, and you just answer all these questions, and then, boom, by the end of the whole questionnaire, it kind of points you more to where your gift clusters might be, right? But we should know what gifts we have. Um, maybe you're here, you have the gift of gap. Any of you here have that? Well, maybe you're called to share the gospel a little more than others. Or maybe you have the gift of administration or decoration or restoration where you reach out to people. I tell you what, we could use your help. Maybe you're good with computers or maybe you're a barbecue expert. I don't know. Maybe you're a good praying person or singing person. You know, so many things, and not to mention the 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible. You read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, and you'll see the gifts that are explicitly listed in the Bible, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are more. But you've got to find out what gifts you have. Maybe you're friendly. Any of you here friendly, like super friendly, big smile? We'll put you up there at the front. You can greet people. If you're not friendly, don't do that, okay? <laughs> We've got to put the right people in the right places. And that's what they're doing here. They're going to build actively now. And now they're going to build skillfully, right? And, and who knows? Uh, every once in a while, maybe there's someone here tonight you think you have nothing to offer. Well, I don't know about me, Manny. I, I don't have anything to offer. Um, number one, I don't know any talents I have. And number two, I'm just not a really good person. And, and I want to encourage you tonight, and we're going to look at this later. Remember Solomon said, who am I? Who am I? You know, none of us are worthy. None of us are good enough. And everybody has a gift. Everybody has something to offer. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's given you gifts, and you have a stewardship with that gift. Maybe you're good with men, ministering to men. Maybe you're good with the kids. Maybe you're good with, I don't know, the sisters. I don't know. But you use it for the glory of God. And then what we find right here, not only do we have uh, the, the skillful men, um, but we also have uh, the, the unity. I, I think, again, the words, they kind of unfold for me. It's time to move beyond intentions, Manny, actively, skillfully. And then the third word is, is just this word unity. You'll see the giftedness, the togetherness. Notice there again in verse 7, he's talking about all this is going to happen. He says... Um, in verse 7, Therefore send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron, in purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men. Notice with, you might even want to circle that word with, with the skillful men who are with me in Judah 
and Jerusalem. So they're going to be working together. Well, we see the same thing in verse 8. Also send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed my servants will be with your servants. And so there's that, that cooperation. There's that unity that's involved. Together they would be a team. And hopefully there would be a heart of teamwork. Hopefully they would be tight. Because I tell you what, the enemy would love to divide and create wedges between people that are supposed to work together. And Solomon says, you get your guys and they'll send the logs and they'll you know, bring them down and we're going to be working with them. I want to see it again later. We're going to be working together with each other. You know, I... They'd be a team. I think it's even insightful to note that Solomon knew he didn't have anyone qualified among the skillful men in Israel to head up the project. And so he has the wisdom to ask for help from Tyre. And so these guys were known for this type of work. And what we find is that Solomon is just, he wants the best. You know, well, we don't have anybody here that can do this. You guys got somebody that you can send over to help us? What's he, what's he do, trying to do? He's trying to make this the best, the best temple for the glory of God. Because he says, I'm about to build it, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be wonderful. And so the guys in verse 10, they would get their you know, food, they would get their compensation. And so we get the response in verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Hiram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre, skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David your father. Now, therefore, the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine which my Lord has spoken of, let him send to his servants, and we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need. We will bring it to you in rafts by sea to Joppa, and you will carry it up to Jerusalem. And he gets such a favorable response from the king of Tyre. You know, this guy speaks so kindly, so graciously of Solomon. You know, he even sounds like he might be a believer. Uh, perhaps he was convinced somehow through David's words or witness. You know, uh, we don't know for sure, but uh, I love what he says in, in, in verse 11. Um, he says, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Later, the queen of Sheba would say virtually the same thing. And to me, I camp out most on those words because the Lord loves his people isn't that cool you guys just to know that he loves us it's awesome to know that you know if only Solomon would have stayed humble you know 
then God, man, who knows what would have happened, right? In the beginning, Solomon had such a humble heart. A humble heart, right? But man, it's a hard place to stay. We constantly have to, man, be checking our heart, rechecking our heart, because pride is what caused the devil to fall. And pride eventually got the best even of someone like Solomon. And so in verse 12, I like that King Hiram acknowledges the Lord God of Israel as the creator of heaven and earth. And even something that's kind of cool in the middle of verse 12, look what it says, you guys. In the middle of verse 12, uh, he says, For he has given King David a wise son. And I'm like, that's cool, because that's exactly what Solomon prayed for, wisdom. And God apparently had given him that wisdom. And so Hiram, he sends uh, his master craftsmen. And again, we see skill emphasized. We see talent along with teamwork. And Solomon would supply them with the grain that they would use. And they would then cut the trees from Lebanon. And if you guys were to look at a map, you would see that Tyre is way up here on the coast. And they would have to put these logs. I guess they would create rafts, and they'd probably put more logs on it. And they would sail down probably about 90, 100 miles down the Mediterranean Sea. They would come to the port of Joppa, which is really the only port back then. And then they would uh, travel about 45 miles inland, carrying all those trees. And that's why they needed uh, so many workers. We'll close with this. In verse 17, it says, Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them, and there were found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stonecutters in the mountain, and 3,600 overseers to make the people work. You guys would be overseers probably, huh? Make them work, man, huh? <laughs> I mean, 153,600 aliens from Mars. That's how the temple was built. You're like, how did they move those big stones? Well, that's how they moved it, right? No, it's actually they're foreigners, right? And uh, non-Israelites who had remained in the territory, uh, Solomon controlled and where they were constricted for slave labor force. If you read 1 Kings 9, 20 through 21, it tells you all about that. But there were also Jews involved in the work. If you read 1 Kings 11, 28, 30,000 were sent to Lebanon to help cut the timber. They would spend one month there and two months at home. You read that in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 13 through 14. As a matter of fact, this guy made him work so hard that when Solomon died, because he built so many buildings, that uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam were going at it. And uh, he said, okay, if you will lighten the load and we won't work so hard, then we'll serve you. And, uh, and uh, Rehoboam said, nah, you know, my, uh, I don't know, my, my pinky's going to be thicker than my dad's waist. And the next thing you know, um, they lost the kingdom. So Solomon made everybody work very hard. And, it, and, and yet it was done. It was done. And what an awesome project it was. I think four words describe it, uh, to the, the, the word actively. You know, stop saying tomorrow stop saying good intentions no now action right and then and then skillfully find out what you're good at what your gifts are what your skills are and and be a part of building 
Um, number three is unity. We got to do this as a team. These are all basics that the enemy attacks. And then number four, it, to me, is the word humility. You know, where, where Solomon, he, he says, who am I? And I wanted to close with that, if it's okay with you, with you guys. In, in verse six, who am I <laughs> then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? I mean, do you guys ever feel that way? Who am I? I mean, Manny, you want me to get involved in ministry? Manny, you want me to do this? Or Lord, you want me to do that? Or Henry says I should do that? Or you got different people tugging at you, say, hey, take a step of faith and get involved. And, you know, a lot of times what's holding us back is like, man, Lord, but I'm not worthy. Who am I, right? And, and that's okay. Um, we should actually never stop saying those words. When you stop saying those words, then you're in trouble. Because sometimes I see people, they, I think what they do is like, well, do you, don't you know who I am? I should be doing this, or this should be happening. And No, no. Go back to the beginning. Go back to when you used to say, who am I? And stay there. And watch what the Lord will do. Who am I? Moses said that when the Lord sent him. Who am I? In Exodus 3.11, that I should go to Pharaoh, right? David asked this three times. Who am I, you know, that he should get, you know, one of the daughters of the, of the king? Or who am I, Lord? He says in 2 Samuel 7.18, that I have this covenant and you brought me this far. Who am I? He said in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14, that we could give like this and offer so willingly. Moses said it, David said it, Solomon said it, Mark Hall said it. You guys know who he is, right? You guys know who he is? Nobody here knows who he is? Okay, some of you here do, okay? He's the leader, uh, the lead singer for Casting Crowns, right? And he, and he wrote that song, Who Am I? It, it won the song of the year in 2004. A great song. Uh, from what I understand, he... Uh, he came up with a song. He said one day he was just driving home with his wife and children, and he was just having some personal worship time. You guys ever worship the Lord while you're driving? Sometimes it's pretty cool, huh? But think about it. There you are worshiping God, right? And he, he remembers how when he was there, he just thought, who am I to think that I can just call up to God whenever I want from the middle of nowhere, and he hears me. And then he started thinking about who he was, and then he realized that he was a new creation. And even though in one sense he's like the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, at the end of the song he says, Who am I? I am yours. I am yours. And there's that, that, beautiful, that beautiful balance that, that we need to have. Never think it's because of your own goodness. I'll, I'll close with one last story. I remember it was a long time ago, um, I wish I could say this before I was a Christian, but it wasn't. Uh, I, was, uh, I, was in the, I was in the backyard. I still remember where I was, and Shelly and I were duking it out, okay? Not physically, okay? We'll just call it holy headlock, intense fellowship type of thing, right? And then I got a phone call. It was, it was from Pastor Raw, and he said, Hey, Manny, can you teach for me tomorrow? And at first, I'm like, no way. I'm duking it out with my wife right now. You know, I'm not worthy. But somehow, you know, uh, the Lord convinced me, you know, it's grace, Manny, it's grace. 
And so I said yes. And, you know, he's given me teaching opportunities along the way. But the other day he called, again, he text messaged. And uh, it was just about uh, two weeks ago, and he asked. And, and this time, my wife and I were reading the Bible together. I mean, we were like in fellowship, man, good fellowship this time, right? Hey, Manny, can you, can you teach for me? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, of course, man. I am such a right-on Christian. <laughs> Look what I'm doing here. I'm reading. I'm praying with my wife. I got everything together. I'm worthy now. And then the Lord said, no, no, no. Don't you remember the principle that I taught you from the very beginning? May you never forget that you are never, you will never be worthy. Never come to that place where you tell God or you tell others, do you know who I am? No. Always maintain that, that heart that Solomon started with. Who am I? Well, I'll tell you what. I like what Mark, that guy Mark, what's his name? Mark Hall said. <laughs> I am yours. And by the way, did you know Stephen Chris Chapman was the executive producer of that song? Just to let you know, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. I pray that, that these words um, actively, uh, these words skillfully, and these words in unity and in even humbly would just be so deeply embedded in our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to do our part. Lord, build us up. Help us to, to build ourselves up, this temple. Godly men and women, Lord, I pray that you would help us to work together to build up even Calvary Chapel, Almani, and that whatever churches that, that we are a part of. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. There would be revival even in the whole wide world. It, it's not too hard for you. So just help us to get serious. Lord, I, I just love you. I thank you for loving us so much. And I just pray, Lord, if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, doesn't know how much you love them, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would know you died for them on the cross. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.